East Coast is being pummeled with the power of a record-breaking superstorm. The storm is so big, so vast. They call this the Frankenstorm. You know, it was a, a direct hit. Debris and boats and decks and docks were, were rapidly flowing down the boulevard. Temperatures are rising, sea levels are increasing, and storms are coming more fiercely and frequently. Climate change impacts are felt globally, yet not equally. Here in Delaware, especially in areas experiencing population and development increases, extreme weather events like this year's EF3 tornado in Bridgeville, the continuing coastal erosion along our shores, and the expanding floodplain throughout Wilmington neighborhoods are bringing the potential for costly destruction with each and every storm. According to the state's Department of Natural Resources and Environmental Control, average overall temperatures in the first state have increased 3 degrees since 1990. As temperatures continue rising, largely attributed to humankind's greenhouse gas emissions, so too do the impacts of global warming become more serious for all Delawareans. Without taking action, significant changes continue to be felt across our state, including rising temperatures, changes in precipitation patterns, elevated sea levels, beach erosion, damage to sewer, stormwater, and energy infrastructure, and severe storms and nuisance flooding that will disrupt transportation and produce public health and safety issues. On this episode of Whip Count, we're joined by Representative Deborah Heffernan, Representative Sophie Phillips, and Emily Neural from the Nature Conservancy to talk about Delaware's bold steps toward tackling climate change here in the first state. Well, first of all, climate change is real. I think that the smoke blowing down from Canada right now from the wildfires shows us how important addressing greenhouse gas emissions and climate change is. Continued sea level rise is getting worse and worse. We're seeing higher what we call king tides, K-I-N-G, which essentially even the high tides are getting higher, as well as longer and more intensive storm events and flooding. We really just need to make sure we're looking at environmental justice seriously, looking at flooding issues in areas other than the beach and making sure that we're taking care of our low-income communities of color. From the Delaware House Democratic Caucus, this is Whip Count. Welcome to the show, Representative Phillips, Representative Heffernan, and we have a special guest joining us on Whip Count today. Welcome to you, Emily. So thank you guys so much for joining us in the studio today. In the interest of time, we'll just jump right into it. So Representative Phillips, we'll start with you. House Bill 99, which you and Representative Heffernan have introduced recently, cleared the House Natural Resource Committee, which you are a vice chair of, and is now in the House Ready List. This bill sets net emission reduction targets 50% by 2030, and 100% net reduction by 2050. I know you weren't here last year, but how does HB 99 differ from last year's Senate Bill 305? The main difference is the net versus growth. So now we're using net emissions. Net means that emissions captured by sinks and by strategies involving land use change, agriculture, forestry, and also strategies involving carbon storage or sequestration projects can be used to help meet the goals. So net is the same standard that other states use for emissions reductions, and it is the same standard in the Paris Climate Accords. These are still aggressive targets that will make Delaware a model for other states in reducing greenhouse gas emissions in a steady, thorough, and responsible manner. This bill was a very much of a holistic approach with work with all different stakeholders to come up with a strong bill that will protect Delaware from climate change. Stakeholders including businesses, residents, environmental advocates, manufacturing, 
that we could all come together to pass the best bill, the strongest bill possible to protect Delaware from climate change. I recently watched a short video by Now This Earth on YouTube that talked a bit about adaptation versus mitigation when addressing climate change. And as that seems to be the key difference between SB 305 and HB 99, let's give a listen to that clip by Alejandro Alba as he offers an explanation about adaptation. Adaptation means finding solutions to actual or anticipated effects of the climate crisis and either prevent or minimize the damage it can cause. It's adapting, but it doesn't really tackle the source of the problem. Say you're on a ship with a leak. You'll want to take action before you sink. So maybe you grab a bucket and start bailing water out. But regardless of how efficient that might be, that's adaptation. Because you're not doing anything about the hole in the boat, which represents irreversible climate change, but you can do something about the water, which is the effect of climate change. In real life, adaptation can be building defenses against sea level rise or behavioral shifts like reducing your food waste, eating less meat, using less plastic, saving water, etc. So Alba's example of the hole in the boat made it easy to understand what adaptation is and how it applies to addressing climate change. Emily, we'll go to you now. Can you share other ways that environmental organizations like the Nature Conservancy are currently using adaptive measures to lower harmful greenhouse gas emissions and also address climate change here in our state? So certainly for Delaware, a lot of the adaptive measures, naturally enough, are focused on water. We are engaging in projects focused on living shorelines. We have a terrific example that's coming later, as well as green stormwater infrastructure. And there's many ways to explain it in detail, but the best way to explain it is essentially using nature's processes to both clean water as well as reduce the impact of flooding on human communities. Each of you have experience with environmental issues. Representative Heffernan, before you became a legislator, you worked for more than three decades as an environmental toxicologist. Representative Phillips, you did work as an advocate for environmental justice before entering public service. And Emily, you serve as a Delaware Director of Government Relations and External Affairs for the Nature Conservancy of Pennsylvania and Delaware Chapter. It's clear that the three of you bring professional, real-world experience and a wealth of knowledge regarding the planet and its fragile environment. When people think about climate change, they tend to think globally, discounting the impacts on a local level. So let's talk for a minute about how climate change is impacting us right here in Delaware. Well, first of all, climate change is real. We are seeing the effects of climate change in our state. I think that the smoke blowing down from Canada right now from the wildfires shows us how important addressing greenhouse gas emissions and climate change is. Delaware is the lowest lying state, meaning that we are the most vulnerable to climate change, to flooding, to changes in um, from more forceful storms. We It matters what Delaware does. It matters what every state does. But unless it's a holistic approach of not only the every state in the United States and in our um, across the globe, we're not going to be able to meet our targets and make sure we mitigate the effects of climate change. I think you just did a really good job of talking about how the effects of climate change are felt locally, especially in our coastal region, which we know is very susceptible to these kind of floods. Um, 
Many of these uh, community organizations that you were talking about, nonprofits and governments, are on the front lines day after day working to bring solutions and stability to the issue, with adaptions, like Alba mentioned, taken to adjust our changing environment. As the lowest-lying state, which we just talked about, coastal flooding is occurring with more frequency here in Delaware. I know in your district, Representative Phillips, uh, and communities along the shoreline, concerns are rising as even the smallest rain or storm can cause massive flooding issues. Uh, the adaptation is action taken to adjust to new or emerging conditions, like sea level rise, to minimize the consequences of our changing climates. Brett Phillips, is that why House Bill 99 would require two annual meetings to allow for public engagement? In other words, is the requirement accounting for our need to be fluid or adaptable to climate change? Absolutely. And understanding the need of our most vulnerable populations is essential. That's why we need these meetings. When we talk about environmental justice, we need to make sure that we're including those communities to see what they want and they need. We can't just go in with our own ideas and expect communities to be okay with it or for it to make a difference. So these annual meetings are absolutely essential. And as I just uh, mentioned, you've referenced increased flooding issues along Route 9. How concerned are you about the impact of these issues for residents and even those further inland? I'm extremely scared for them. When the Christina and Brandywine rivers flooded uh, during Ida, we saw so much flooding, especially in South Bridge. And these residents still describe themselves as being underwater because with every storm comes the, you know, really uh, comes the, the fear of flooding and the fear of losing everything. And they don't have the resources to be able to just pick up and leave. And we're not putting policies in place ahead of time to make sure that they will be okay. And that if they do need to meet, they, they do need to move, that they'll have the resources to do so. So we need to make sure we're taking into account the lack of green space that's there to mitigate that flooding and to make sure that affordable housing is available and ready in areas that, um, that is going to be most impacted by this. So we really just need to make sure we're looking at environmental justice seriously, looking at flooding issues in areas other than the beach, and making sure that we're taking care of our low-income communities of color. So for the folks at home that, that may be um, unaware, what does um, environmental justice and injustice mean? Mm -hmm. So Black, Indigenous, and other people of color are more impacted by climate change and polluting industry. So you'll see climate change impacting these communities that are right on the river or you know don't have any green space in their neighborhoods because we have uh, made it that way with historical policies like redlining. In addition to increased flooding all throughout the state, more and more massive storms are becoming commonplace, bringing costly destruction. This spring, residents in Bridgeville experienced the strongest tornado, a confirmed EF3, in 62 years. Our shorelines have felt the blows of intense weather, including hurricanes. I want to take it back to about a decade ago when uh, communities in New Jersey were absolutely devastated by Superstorm Sandy. Uh, recently, I watched a video, Emily, published by the Nature Conservancy, about Superstorm Sandy and its impact on the coastline of New Jersey and also New York. The Cape May region seemed to avoid uh, the worst of the impact, and that's attributed to the work of your organization to replenish the shoreline. So let's take a listen to that clip. The area around uh, Cape May in particular fared very well. We contribute that to the Nature Conservancy's restoration work here. There's been a lot of dune restoration and beach renourishment. So the beach was wide enough, the dunes tall enough, and the freshwater wetlands held enough water that we didn't see a lot of coastal flooding and we didn't see any dune washover. The whole gig got the worst damage because our beaches were, you know, over the years getting uh, eroded. The dunes were less and less 
because of northeasters and storms that we get. Dunes provide massive amounts of protection from storms, not only from flooding, but also wave damage. The places where they had beach replenishment and built up the dunes, they had very little or no damage. If we didn't have the trees and the dunes, we would be in the ocean. Emily, after listening to that clip, uh, it seems like your organization is doing work that not only looks at adaptation, but also involves uh, mitigation strategies to, to address climate change. Mitigation, to remind those listening in or just joining us now, is what Representative Phillips believes makes House Bill 99's directive for 100% net emissions by 2050 possible. Emily, would you agree that it takes a combination of both in order to be effective? Absolutely. One of the things that is so exciting about House Bill 99 is it sets a goal. It says that this is a place we want to get to to reduce greenhouse gas emission reductions. One of the other pieces that the Nature Conservancy really likes about it, however, is that it requires an updating of our sea level rise data and our temperature data and our precipitation data. Because we are talking a lot about mitigation versus adaptation. If we are going to adapt in a constructive way to climate change, what we need to do is have the most up-to-date data to help us make better choices. Let's go back to that sinking ship scenario from earlier in the episode and see how mitigation works in that example provided by Now This Earth's Alejandro Alba. Mitigation tries to fix the problem at the source. The IPCC report defines mitigation as, quote, human intervention to reduce the sources or enhance the sinks of greenhouse gases. So let's hop back on the sinking ship. This time, instead of trying to deal with the water, you're going straight for the hole and sealing it up to stop the water altogether. In a real-life situation, this would mean reducing the sources of greenhouse gases, like the burning of fossil fuels, or retrofitting buildings and vehicles to be more energy efficient. But it also means enhancing carbon sinks to suck carbon out of the air with efforts like reforestation, preserving ocean health, soil enrichment, or even carbon capture technology. Basically, the goal with mitigation is to stabilize greenhouse gas levels enough to where ecosystems can naturally adapt to climate change, our food production is not threatened, and allow economic development to grow in a sustainable way. All that according to the IPCC report, of course. It's important to know that although these two responses are because of the same crisis, no single option is enough on its own. One thing that really jumps out at me is that no single option is enough of its own. I know there are several other bills that we've announced in addition to House Bill 99. So Representative Phillips, could you talk a little bit about your House Bill 12 and House Bill 13? Yes, so these will be rebate programs. One is going to be a rebate program for electric vehicles and the other for charging equipment. The main purpose of this is to make sure that we're making electric vehicles and the equipment needed for them more accessible, especially to low income communities. Like we mentioned already, these communities are most impacted by climate change and emissions. So if they have access to electric vehicles as well, then we're bringing these into their communities and making sure that the pollution that they're seeing right now hopefully is mitigated into the future. Um, HB 10 will um, put in place that each year we will be the school buses that are owned by the state when those are replaced every year a percentage of those will be electric school buses the benefit is that one that's a way we will be a greener state but it also cuts down emissions that teachers um breathe in from idling buses and the community. It, it's less pollution in our community, less pollution for the kids, and especially for teachers. 
I think that it is um, considered leading by example, that for the state to lead by example with one, electrifying the state fleet and with working towards um, electrifying our school buses, it shows that our state of Delaware is leading by example and hoping our residents will follow. These are new construction buildings, and this takes an ordinance that was passed by Newcastle County statewide. It's for new buildings of a certain size that are commercial buildings, and it doesn't mandate that they use solar power. It mandates that the building, when constructed, will be able to be solar ready. And part of the reasoning is when you're building a new building, constructing it, it's much less expensive to have the roof be able to support solar panels than it is to retrofit it later. And and this is all part of, of the greening of Delaware that we're doing. That's HB 11. And just to be clear, we do have, I know, some rumors were spreading around that this was related to something that our organization DENREC has been proposing about uh, zero emission vehicles. So can you clear up that confusion? This is completely separate from that. This is strictly just a rebate program, one honestly that already exists and another that already exists on the federal level. So nothing to do with the ACC2. Great, thank you for clearing that up because I know that's a question that a lot of folks have if they've maybe just joined the conversation or they've been confused. I wanna thank you all for joining us today. Is there anything that you'd like to add as we close out this episode? I am very excited that we passed HB 99 and I'm hoping that we pass it in the Senate as well. Being the youngest member, I know this is going to impact me a lot more than my colleagues and uh, my generation is really behind what we need to be doing to mitigate climate change. So I know all my friends and I know my my friends' kids, because we're at the age where we're having really young kids too who are going to be impacted. We're so excited that Delaware has finally decided to recognize climate change and be a leader. I think that it's very exciting that this year um, our big push is green environmental bills that we are working towards both in the House and the Senate. I want to thank all the co-sponsors, my co-chair, I mean my vice chair in the House Natural Resource and Energy Committee, Representative Phillips, and the chair in the Senate, Sec- Senator Hansen, has been um, amazing. Um, Representative Longhurst, we have focusing, we're focusing this year on green initiatives, and I'm very excited for our state. The Nature Conservancy is very excited about House Bill 99 and so grateful to Representative Heffernan, Representative Phillips, and Senator Hansen for their leadership on this issue. It's just been tremendous. We're going to set a roadmap, but then we're going to set up specific individual strategies to help make the climate situation better in Delaware. It seems like we're well on the way to address climate change with HB 99 and some of the other related environmental bills that we just discussed. While a global problem, there's no doubt it's felt on local levels. And Delawareans can rest assured that we're doing our part here at Legislative Hall, advancing our commitment to help heal our fragile planet. I'd like to thank all of you for joining me today and to talk about HB 99 and some of the complimentary bills that will help Delaware stay on track to hit these vital environmental goals. From the Delaware House Democratic Caucus, this is Whip Count. 
You can keep up to date with the Delaware House Democratic Caucus by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at DE House Dems.